I have a big, exciting announcement for you today on Happy Healthy You. We have a new sponsor for the podcast. Yay! Talk about being in alignment. Blue Planet Eyewear is a socially responsible, eco-friendly maker of sunglasses and readers for women, men, and kids. For every pair sold, Blue Planet gives glasses to people in need. Now, how cool is that? And their glasses are really cute. I have a pair of readers in just about every room of my house because, well, you know, I need them sometimes when the lighting is bad. The sunglasses are really hip and stylish, and there's so many colors and styles to choose from. This is really fun, you guys. Go to BluePlanetEyewear.com and be sure to use discount code CONNIE20 for your special Happy Healthy You discount. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and happy healthy holidays. Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now, here's Connie. Happy Healthy You, the podcast. And if you've been a regular listener for the past several years, you know this is a podcast about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. And we talk about all kinds of things like health and wellness and nutrition, spirituality, and just that wholeness. Um, Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I, I firmly believe that. And, you know, it's a daily practice to stay on the path of wholeness. And we're in this together. So welcome to the podcast if this is your first time here. And I hope you'll enjoy it and share it and get involved and uh, come to our Happy Healthy You Facebook page and contribute there. So today I have a very cool guest. Her name is Mary Shores, and she is the internationally known author of Conscious Communications, your step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. It's a brand new book, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. As an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and CEO, Mary Shores teaches us, people and businesses, to create their own realities by using scientific methods and practical personal development. She's also appeared internationally in magazines, on TV shows, and she's been a guest on over 80 podcasts, including... Chicken Soup for the Soul, Lavender Lifestyle, Positive Head, Ever Forward Radio, and now Happy Healthy You. Her practical and scientific methods, straightforward teaching, and actionable tips ensure that anyone, even me, can improve our lives. Welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Connie. I'm really excited to be here and to be meeting you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started reading your book, and it sounds like we have... Um, some real commonalities. We both lost a child. I'm sorry about yours. My goodness. Um, How long ago was that for you? It's been, it was 1993. It's been a very long time. Me too. It's been 1991. So yeah. Wow. So we've had some time, time to heal. And uh, I noticed that you wrote about your healing journey and that was what really what brought you to where you are today. Can you just talk about that a little bit and how you came to this point where you've written this new book? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, first thing is if we're talking about healing specifically from the death of a child, in 1993, I was all of like 20, 
maybe 21 years old and wasn't even aware that I needed healing mm -hmm. until many, many years later and many other things that had happened in my life. You know, I definitely have had my share of the most wonderful things that can happen in your life, like tons of business success, um, traveled all over the place, got this book deal with Hay House that's been rather life-changing, you know, but I've got the the other side of things where life's been quite a roller coaster and I have another special needs child who is on the autism spectrum. And so I probably didn't even know I needed healing until I was sometime in my 30s. Mm. And from there, it's just been you know, I, I think I was somebody who was drawn to every weekend worksheet, workshop or retreat on the planet. <laughs> it's like, you know, date with destiny, have a transformation in a week. And I was very drawn to those things. And what I would notice is at the end of the weekend or the a week, everyone else would go through these processes and they would be talking about that their life was changed. And I would feel like, well, what the heck is wrong with me? I'm still the same person. Mm. And what I noticed was like maybe three weeks later, I would talk to those people and guess what? Their life was right back into chaos that it had been because they hadn't made true change. The change that they made, they were flying high on the energy of the event. And I think that we all do that and that's a great feeling. It's like electricity and you feel so alive. But then if we look, like the trick is you have to take the tools and the skills that you learned and actually apply them to your life. And that true change happens in small pivots over a period of time. True. Yeah. I um, In my last podcast with Glenn Livingston, uh, I we talked about love takes time. You know that song? Love takes time. It's so true. I had an acting teacher that used to say that. And it's so true. Um, it's one of the reasons I became a yoga teacher because um, I saw the slow, uh, subtle differences that happen, the, sm the small changes in my mind and my body through practice. So, so I appreciate that you say that. I noticed that when I, so first of all, I, you know, I will um, kind of, uh, I will say this about myself. It's not the most politically correct thing to say. Oh, good. I, I love those. I, for a lot of years, was a hardcore workout girl. You know, like the typical gym rat who's wearing fitness clothes 24-7, got the hardcore body, and it looked really good and all that. And I used to make fun of the yoga people. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh, isn't that cute? They're taking a nap. They need their cuddle blanket. Mm. I mean, okay, so now, of course, that was many years ago, and I am so grateful for the role that yoga has played in my life, and I remember when I was a few months into it, like, when I really got, when I stopped doing fitness yoga, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and started taking real yoga classes, there was a change that I went through, because I didn't have, you know, the latest top 40 hits to accompany me while I was doing my, you know, triangle pose, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I had to like sit with it. Well, I started crying one day in the middle of class. And I'm like, what the heck is this? So I go to my teacher and I said, I don't know what I'm crying about. And she goes, oh, you know, that's normal. And I talked to someone else and she said, yoga has a way of 
touching the emotions that are trapped deep inside your body and releasing them so that they, they, they rise up like effervescent champagne bubbles. Mm, I love that. Yeah. They bubble up. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was crying about, but like, I will (laughs) never forget that moment and like what a deep understanding it gave me about how our bodies are like these libraries. Yes. They're libraries that store everything we've ever experienced since birth. And now they're finding since even before birth. Yes. So I love this segue. You just made this segue so easy for me because I wanted to talk to you about this. There's a chapter in your book that touches on this emotions that are stored in the body. In yoga, we call them issues in the tissues. I love that. (laughs) And, and Mary, I wonder if you're feeling uh, similar uh, a similar thing with all of these hashtag me too's that are coming out, men and women that are, um, that are talking candidly about their experiences with, um, sexual abuse and molestation. And, um, it's just coming out. And I'm kind of worried about us right now because it's great that we're talking about it and it's important to speak our truth, speak truth to power, but it also is just kind of out there. And I'm wondering like, Hmm, what do we do with this as a culture? And not everybody has the resources to deal with it, um, in, in a healthy, balanced way. So how do how do you feel about that right now? So I have, I have, um, a spectrum of emotions, you know, first of all, I am a woman. So of course, you know, we've all had our own experiences. We've all been, you know, like I've been at business conferences, men behave badly sometimes when they're away from their wives and their daughters. And, you know, they, they sort of have this party guy atmosphere, but I also want to be careful not to, you know, blame all men. And at the same time, I'm a CEO. And so I'm also a very driven businesswoman, and I can see where, you know, women could be put in a position that their their career could be furthered or bettered or whatever if they just sort of put up with it. So mm-hmm. I can see how the situation was the perfect storm. You know, I'm still I'm still just taking everything in, but I will tell you the one thing that has had the deepest effect on me uh, yet, and that has been Michelle Pfeiffer gave an interview on the BBC, and she spoke beautifully about opening up her conversation with her friends saying, where is the line between getting hit on a man pursuing you Mm -hmm. and, and now it's gone to the point of inappropriate or assault or abuse. And I thought that that was one of the most intelligent things that I've heard someone say because it's solution oriented. You know, it's like, it's like taking, taking it to the future and saying, okay, this is going to look differently now. So we need to be thinking about what are our boundaries of what's acceptable. Cause you know, we don't want to make men terrified to pursue women. Exactly. Exactly. Everything that they do is going to be taken out of context. But on the other hand, we want to feel safe as women. Right. It's very tricky right now. I, and I feel like I, I too, I'm just taking it in and, um, looking at how uh, different people are addressing the situation, but let's let's go into our um, our subject today of issues in the tissues, the emotions that are stored in the body, and because I think it is relevant to some those of us who have unpacked these um, 
these events, these traumatic events and taking them out of the dark. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we can give some practical, um, advice for how to, how to really, uh, walk through life and heal, heal some of that. Um, one of the reasons I do love yoga is because we are able to, um, consciously look at the emotions that come up in the body, the thoughts that pass through our consciousness as we're moving through poses. And it's a beautiful healing opportunity in a yoga class. Talk about some of the, um, some of the experiences you have had through your um, healing process that have unlocked some of these emotions and, and how you've dealt with them. Yeah, I would love to. So the thing is, and I think that this is so important because we all hear the words, the issues are in the tissues and we can study, you know, we can study like the brain body connection. We can, we can study neuro neurology, um, Mm-hmm. by you know bio oh we can study biology we can study neurogenesis we can study all of that and it's not nearly the same as actually just going through a healing i would say that about 9 years ago when i was going through my divorce i really started for the first time in my life going through getting some body work done and i was 34 at the time i'm 44 now and um even just in the past two years, I've been going through this um, restructuring of my entire body. And so I'll just explain. I, I ended up with a 56-degree kyphotic curve. And for your audience who is not familiar with those words, the curve I'm talking about is a curvature in the spine that is in the upper back. So if you see an elderly woman and she has a humpback, this is the direction I was going. And it was 56 degrees is actually pretty significant. Mm -hmm. So normal is say 35 to 40. So it was starting to become very noticeable, like in pictures. So I had the very rounded forward shoulders and I was in pain um, 24 seven. So I was lucky enough to find a chiropractor who teaches uh, or who practices a modality that he learned called biophysics. And it's basically this traction therapy. And for the last year and a half, I've been going through um, multiple appointments a week of this traction therapy. Now, the good news is it completely corrected the curve. So I was able to get it back down to 40 degrees, which to me was a miracle because I had been to many doctors who told me you can't correct that. So it was a miracle because where I had a curve in my back, I no longer have that curve. But here's the important part. I feel so like... completely blessed because I at the time was also going through some acupuncture and as well as I have this person in my life who I write about her in the book more than once. Her name's Jessica and Jessica is, she's a massage therapist. She's also a Reiki master and she is a classically trained therapist, meaning she went to the U of I University of Illinois for psychology and she has a degree in psychology. And she really believes about doing therapy while you're on the massage table. And so what this does is you talk about things. So if you have a pain in a certain area of your body, then she knows, you know, like the emotional connection to that. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because when I was getting ready to go through this traction therapy, Jessica came to me and she said, you know, there's a reason you have that 
deep curve mm. and all of that pain in your back because you've had the weight of the world on your shoulders for so long. And she said, when you start to break open those parts of you that are stuck, you're going to also break open the flood of emotions that you've been storing in your body for years and years and years. And now that I'm on the other side of that, I can see how it's so true. I was on a, I was on a show the other day and I was talking about my body and my spine as if it was like this fused together rod. Do you know what I mean by that? Like yes. instead of it being like a flexible, I was like fused together and stiff and there was no fluidity in my movement anymore. There was no flow. And so now that I'm going through this therapy, it is so true that as my back was breaking open and correcting itself, that that so too came all of the traumas and tragedies of my life bubbling up to the surface and experiencing those emotions again and again and being so fortunate that I have this like magical Reiki goddess that can just help me wash them away. Mm, I love Reiki I, for that too. I'm also a Reiki person. Mm-hmm. The result is my life is changing before my very eyes because you know we always think, or at least I do this, like I always think, okay, now I've hit the finish, the finish line, and here I go. I'm in another period of transition. Sure. And I'm so excited. I can almost cry right now because I'm so excited about where this transition is going to take me. That's great. But can we just go back a little bit because um, you you did mention that you were able to publish with uh, Hay House, which is awesome. I mean, that congratulations on that. And Louise Hay was she was the queen of putting together the emotional origins of physical um, ailments, wasn't she? I mean, she was so good at that. She had oh, affirmations for everything to to help you um, kind of work through those things. When you were diagnosed with this kyphotic curve, did could you go back to the original uh, issue with that? So, you know, you, you it's all unconscious, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure. one to go like, oh, in the second grade, my grandfather said this to me and therefore it planted this, you know, I, I, I'm not into that. Right, but right. What I will say is that it's not one thing, it's a buildup. So when we begin to have, we have a situation happen, you know, you mentioned the, the me too, right? Mm-hmm, right. So that's an example of a situation that happens. Well, what happens is you have the trauma event, you have the whatever. So I know that for me, when I was three years old, um, I was abandoned by my parents and sent to live with relatives. Now I was safe. I was I was living with relatives who loved me and cared for cared for me. But a three year old, you know, cannot perceive the difference between be, between like a real threat or a perceived threat any more than an adult can. And right. so for a three year old to be se- separated by their from their parent, it very much is like a fear that you're going to die because you don't know. You just put in a situation where you don't know. So what happens is your energetic body begins to protect yourself. Right. And so a lot of times people who have the rolled shoulders or the humpback, it's because they've had to protect their heart wall. Mm-hmm. They've had to build that wall around their heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just one thing that happens, but it's like you have the original wound and then you have other wounds that you start to accumulate in your life. And maybe they're all based on that original one or maybe they're not, but I don't know the answer other than to say that I know for me 
it was definitely an accumulation of things. And then, you know, not being able to fully speak up for yourself. So we talk about like the throat chakra, if you're into that kind of thing, but that ability to speak up and that goes right along with this me too, that when these things were happening to these women, they felt like they couldn't say anything, that they were not heard. And when you're not heard, again, you go into this protective mode. You have to protect yourself. Yes, yes. And the throat chakra is the next chakra up from the heart chakra that we're trying to protect. So I agree with you. I feel like so many of these um, sort of things that happen in our lives are just opportunities to heal the original wound. And if we can go back to that original wound, even if it is not conscious, um, not a conscious wound, um, we can do a lot of good and end up in that that great place where you say you are right now. I was watching um, an interview with Bradley Nelson. He's the author of The Emotion Code. And he gave a great example of a client who came to him and had a, had, um, he, he was working with the mother and the daughter and the daughter had this limp on her right side of her body and she had no apparent injury. And he was really trying to figure out what it was. And he was talking to the mother and the mother finally uncovered this memory that um, she, when the baby, when this little girl was a baby, they had cloth diapers back then, the mother had accidentally, and this is really even hard to think about, uh, pinned the diaper to to the baby, like into the skin, and the baby was left there until the next diaper change um, to... to, you know, feel this pain and feel this, you know, fear and abandonment and like, what's going on and nobody's helping me. And, um, and, and because she was so little, it wasn't in her conscious memory. And so, um, she developed this limp and this, um, problem with her right side of her body. And once that was uncovered over time and with, you know, some healing techniques and practices, Uh, she was able to eliminate that from her. So I thought that was a really just such a almost disgusting example of, of how, how the healing can happen if we just are brave enough to uncover it. Well, isn't that why we make the joke? Like who dropped you on your head when you were a baby? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a great subject. So, and then it affects the rest of our lives. Right? I mean, it just affects everything. It does because it affects our behavior. So, Mm -hmm. like, for example, you know, I just wrote an article about this the other day, but it's like all about, we did it for Halloween and we based it on fears. Like, your childhood fears, when you grow up, they become your adult fears. So, the fear of the boogeyman turns into the fear of the missed mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. And your fears have a huge influence on your behaviors and your behaviors. Um, really form your habits. Your habits over a given enough period of time are going to shape your personality. And these choices you make throughout this entire process create your reality. I mean, Connie, here's the fascinating thing. We are creating our life and our reality right before our very eyes in the thinnest sliced moments of life. Mm. Now, what do you mean by that? So break, I mean break that, that down. you know, if you are, I, I feel like you and I are, are kind of into the same kind of things. So mm-hmm. you can probably agree with me that infinite possibilities are available to us, you know, but infinite possibilities doesn't necessarily mean, I think we, we, as, as like, you know, humans in our culture of America, when we hear the word possibility, we think something good, 
like I have the possibility of hitting the New York Times list or getting on Oprah, but don't I also have the possibility of failing and filing bankruptcy and getting sick or in a car accident? We have equal opportunities. And the thing that's going to connect you, it's up to us, the things that are going to connect us to the, to the things that we want to have happen in our life versus continuing to swirl in the flow and the chaos of everything uncontrollable. But what we don't necessarily always see is how easy it is to get into control of how to turn a possibility into a probability. Probability meaning it's more likely to happen. Mm, I love this discussion. I really love this discussion, Mary. <laughs> so I, I am in this place in my life where I have really... I hate to even say it and put it out there in the public, but surrendered to what is. And I look at the miracles, the, I call them miracles, and even some of them are not so to the outside, uh, might not seem like miraculous things, but it's just like you never know what's going to show up in life. I, I, and I'm so excited about each possibility because I have learned that everything that comes into my life is an opportunity for healing or for the next step forward or for my spiritual growth, really. And I think for a lot of people using the, the hashtag me too, we've opened Pandora's box say, and a lot of people might be in that place where there is a lot of fear and we're looking at this, this wound and we don't know where to start. Where is a good place for someone to start who may have just uncovered something that based on either uh, conscious memory or or opportunities that keep cropping up to heal that might not necessarily so, be pleasant yeah <laughs> so I think that's a great question and I'm gonna I'm just gonna preference my preface my answer by saying that I'm not a person who believes that there's one way or one path like you'll never hear me say like you have to do it my way or or like your world is going to come trumble, uh, stumbling down. Mm -hmm. The truth is the first step is to choose something, anything and make it a practice, make it a commitment, make it a non-negotiable. So whether that's yoga, you know, whether that's, whether that's taking a conscious break, but I can tell you for me that when I finally started getting serious and knew the path that I wanted to take and understood that I needed a healing. My first entry point was gratitude. And here's the reason why I love gratitude. You know, I'm a very spiritual person. And I think that growing up in the United States, it's very likely that you grew up in some sort of Christian culture. You know, whether that's Lutheran or Catholic or Protestant or whatever, um, the belief system is still there. And we were sort of taught that we owed this, you know, God in the sky, a debt of gratitude. And I don't think that at all. In fact, it doesn't matter to me whether it's God or, or Buddha or the universe or, you know, whatever your high, your own higher self, it's not about owing a debt of gratitude, but it is about within your own subconscious brain, you have a set in a network, you have neural networks that are what build all of your belief systems. And when you begin a daily practice of gratitude, what it does is it starts it starts the seedlings of new neural networks in your brain. And so one way to heal is to begin to believe in a new begin to believe new things about 
perceive new things about your world and begin to believe new things about yourself. And gratitude is something that any of us can do. It doesn't cost any money. It doesn't take any investment. It only takes commitment of a daily practice. Yes, I agree. Gratitude journals are, are really important. And I also wrote about that in my book about healing from grief. And so I think that's, that's a really great place to start, just, just with the small things. Um, can you talk a little bit about therapy and maybe reaching out to get a little bit of professional help, especially um, if, if you are uncovering some of these memories about abuse or, or anything traumatic from your past? Well, I'm definitely not an expert on therapy. Um, I'm, I'm one that probably is more into alternative therapies. Mm -hmm. So I really love acupuncture. I love Reiki. I love hypnosis therapy. Mm -hmm. That documentary that you mentioned, um, the emotion code, mm -hmm. while I've never tried it, um, if there was a practitioner around me, I mean, I'd be probably in their office every week. I love also the concept of Psych K, which is something Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about a lot. But I did go, especially when I was going through my divorce, I had a therapist. And this was before the life coaching industry got really big. But I used to actually call him my life coach because he was very practical with me. And one of the things that he did that I really loved is he wouldn't let me drown in my own story. Do you know what I mean by yes, that? Like, yes, yes. I would come in his office and I would start telling the same sad story over and over again. And this man would stop me and he would say, he would just cut me off. Like sometimes with like a hand signal. And what I learned now is that it's so important that we loosen the grip of the stories from our past because the most beautiful part of your story is in the moment and the journey of how you moved on because that's where your empowerment is. Mm. And that's the story we need to learn to tell. And talk about the power of sharing your story. You do share your story candidly in the book. Um, talk about the power of sharing. sharing, And, ma and maybe that's, that's part of what's going on with this movement, this hashtag Me Too. You know, that's part of... That's part of the transition that I'm going through because I didn't know, Connie, that my story was going to affect people so much. And so I only recent, in fact, um, even on shows, there's very few times I've talked about like my ancient history. And so of course I talk about it in the book, but I didn't know the impact it was going to truly have on other people. And the letters that I've gotten from women all over the world, I'm sure you experienced the same thing. Um, that's been very powerful on me. And I'm, I think I'm still sorting it out. I think it's part of this transition that I'm going through because, you know, we, when we were talking about um, the healing journey, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's one thing to be on a healing journey, but it's another thing altogether when you're on a healing journey and you've made it a public thing because you've been given or you've been gifted with a platform. And, you know, whether it's like your show or, you know, with me, like um, being a real up and comer with Hay House and you, you build an audience and you really don't understand how many people you are helping to heal by sharing your story just the way that Louise Hay did. You and I. We are the next generation of Louise Hay. Mm, she did so much for the healing. 
industry, the personal development and healing. And oh, she's just so wonderful. You mentioned that you have a child who's on the spectrum, and that is certainly a challenge. I know others who have the not only challenge, but the joy of raising children who are on the spectrum. How would you say your uh, healing journey and where you are today has shifted um, your your navigating those waters, having a, a, a challenge like an autistic child? So that is a question that I could take in so many different directions because, you know, my, my child's 17. Uh-huh. So I've had, you know, I've had 17 years of experiences with him. So I'll start from more in the beginning and I'll kind of leave it there because if there's mothers who are just getting this diagnosis mm-hmm. or grandparents who are just finding this out, my son was not diagnosed until the second grade. And is that's common, right, Mary? I, you know, it I takes think a while. Asperger's, mm-hmm. I think that they have better um, diagnostic criteria now where they can make diagnoses as early as infancy. But in my child, that was not the case. Um, but let me just tell you, he was always very different. Um, when he was 15 months old, I remember being at his well check and the doctor looked at me and said, most parents would already be asking to medicate this child just because of the way he kept trying to like escape out of the room and he was into everything. And, and by the time he was in the first grade, he was in the principal's office all day, every day. I literally thought I had the clock tower kid. Like there was just something wrong, but you know what the problem, and this is what, this is the point I want to share, Connie. I made that mean because humans are meaning making machines. We make meaning out of everything. And I made that mean that I must have been the most horrible mother because I was raised to believe that children are a product of their parents and that my child's reflection, my child's behavior was only a reflection of my parenting skills. Mm. And so I had to fight against that for years. So even after he got the diagnosis, the other thing during that time was I had to completely let go of the expectation Uh, You know, like I came from a very athletic family, and so I had two boys that I just assumed would go on to be like the basketball star and the football star and the baseball star, just like my brother and my father were. So I had to let go of this sort of idea in my head, and I'm still in a lot of ways letting go of that expectation because you know what? My son is 17, and he has no interest in getting a driver's license. You know, I don't even know if he's going to be able to graduate college. And so that sort of idea where you grow up, get the, get the diploma, go to college, get the, get the husband, have the family, buy the house, take the vacations that has unraveled completely in my life. That's a huge shift. Just kind of letting that child be an unfold, let that life unfold as it's meant to unfold. Yeah, and that's just one of the many things, but Mm -hmm. I'll leave that one because I know that there's someone listening that has a neighbor, you know, that has a sister or a brother, you know, we're all touched by autism um, in one way, shape or another. Mm, Yeah. Even if it's just that our child is, you know, I hear, I talk to parents who their child is in a classroom with another child who's autistic and that they have to sort of, I hate to say the words put up with, but they have to put up with all these strange behaviors. And it and it's a distraction from their child's learning. Right. 
Right. But it's also an opportunity for compassion, empathy, and love. I think it's becoming much mm -hmm. more that way now, but mm -hmm. I don't think it was that way like when my son was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. My the other parents, uh, my son was put into a gifted a gifted classroom in the second grade, and I of course thought it was going to solve all of our problems. And instead, the other parents in the classroom gang together and went all the way up to the superintendent of schools to try to get my son removed from the class. Mm. So that's the level of compassion I was met with. Mm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Ho hopefully things are changing though. In, I think they are. Room. And I think I that I, I can see it now that I'm sort of meant to be somebody who's going to speak up about these things. Yeah. Well, I love that, that you write about that in conscious communication. You, and if I can just read a little bit of this uh, introduction here, you say, I used to say things like everything is a struggle and I'm such a mess. And I would get very descriptive about it saying that I felt as if every day I was trying to walk down a set of stairs and someone was kicking them out from underneath me. <laughs> That's so descriptive. Yeah. I didn't just say that I felt like a mess. I had to illustrate it and really articulate all the ways I was struggling and messy. So you had a lot of language around um, the challenges of your life. And I think we, we do. And I think this book is going to be healing in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Can you talk a little bit about why you wrote about the power of communication and maybe how that juxtaposes with this emotional, this healing from uh, this, the emotional traumas that we've all experienced? I would love to. So, you know, we've mentioned Louise Hay a mm -hmm. couple times in Hay House. Mm -hmm. And so I guess when I first came across Louise Hay, believe it or not, I did not even hear of her until something like 2011 or 2012, even though she's been around, you know, for oh, ages yeah. and ages. But when I did, I just had, I watched the documentary, You Can Heal Your Life, and I had a powerful shift. And the foundation of that particular documentary was really about the words. Mm -hmm. And so I went on to meet Louise. I went on to study affirmations. But I'll be honest, I was one of the people who looked at affirmations as kind of silly or nonsensical, or um, I was resistant. Let's just say I was resistant. Like I thought, okay, yeah, they're fun. And, you know, it's fun to shout them out with friends and stuff like that. But I didn't take them seriously. What I understand now, so, you know, all of my teachings kind of go that way. Like, oh, I used to make fun of yoga. Now I'm like the biggest yogi ever. <laughs> uh, so I should pay attention to what I'm making fun of now because it's probably like what I'm going to be really into in five years. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I've come to know is that words are so powerful because when you speak words, they go out into the universe, number one, but number two, they actually program your subconscious mind. So just like what I said about gratitude, and the thing is, like, it doesn't matter if you speak the affirmations or you write the affirmations or you go to a hypnotherapist to have her or him program them in for you. What matters is that you're planting new seeds in your subconscious that can grow and take you into another direction. And a big example of that that I like to use is that for 10 years, I wanted to write a book, but I would constantly say, I'm not a writer. And, you know, that's such an example of being out of alignment. So to say that I want to write a book in one breath, 
And then to say that I'm not a writer in another breath, well, our words are revealing our subconscious mind. And so if we just pay attention, we can see perhaps an entry point. So for me, it was about the entry point. And I knew that I needed to invest in myself in order to become a writer. So I started going to writer's workshops. And then I started to get some skills and I started to get some practice in writing. And before too long, you know, I had a book and a book deal. So it was a wonderful thing. But how often do we say, Connie, I want to I start a business, but I don't have the money or I don't have good credit or I want to lose 20 pounds, but I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to cook healthy meals. You know, we have this habit of saying, I want to have this but I don't have that. Hmm. And that is an example. You know, I love talking about alignment, but alignment used to be confusing to me. And I feel like it. it's like you have to get your thoughts, your words, your feelings, and your actions all in the same direction of what you want. So those words that I was talking about is an example of being out of alignment. But I wasn't somebody who could change my words deliberately if it wasn't my truth. Do you know what I mean by yes, that? Yes, yes. So I had to make much smaller pivots. So when I was in that point of despair that you described, talking about the stairs um, kicking out from under me, there's no way I could look in the mirror and say, oh, my life is like wonderful and joyous. Because I'd be, I, I, I don't even think I could spit those words out. But what I could learn to say is that I am open to new opportunities. Mm. You know, I, I say, I'm going to invest in myself. I could say, wonderful things are gonna happen at this writer's workshop. That I could do. And then, and then you start the new seed and you let that grow and then you just feed that new seed more than you feed the other one. Mm. Okay, yeah. okay. Only for a little bit of time, you change everything. So small steps, small steps. And I love this idea of being in alignment because that's what I'm all about too, body, mind, and spirit. And let's just talk about how the shift of the the thoughts and the words that we use and the feelings that we're having, how does that affect the brain and the body, the biological system? And I know you write about Bruce Lipton in your book. Maybe you can just address how, how over time the uh, neurology changes and the body the nervous system changes. I was just teaching a workshop, and actually this goes right back, um, Connie, and ties into that story we were talking about with uh, my kyphosis, my kyphotic curve in my back. Perfect. Um, so did you did you see the documentary, What the Bleep? Yes, yeah. Okay, so in, if your listeners haven't, I'll just set it up for a second. So yesterday I was teaching a workshop, and it was a communications workshop to HR professionals. And I show the scene from the movie where it's Marley Matlin and she's missing the train and she drops her pills all over the track and um, she kind of walks off to the side and she's really disgusted with herself. She's like beating herself up. She's the, she is the image of somebody whose stairs are being kicked out from underneath them. Mm -hmm. And she sees this exhibit in the hallway of these water molecules and this Dr. Emoto who had done this experiment with the effect of words and intentions over the water molecules and he had photographed them on the molecular level and the words that had 
in spoken, the, the, the water molecules that had the words spoken that were positive and loving had these beautiful like snowflake qualities to the molecular structure. But the words that had like hate and rage and war had this like charred, edgy, very just like uneven appearance. And the whole point of it is this guy walks up to Marley and says, if words can do that to water, and our bodies are made of 70% water or 90% water, whatever it is, imagine what words are doing to us. So you have the time when someone tells you that you're ugly and you believe it, and it makes you feel a little bit sick. You know that you know that sick to your stomach feeling you get? Mm-hmm. It, that's what happens. And then, okay, then you get over it, but then it happens again, and then it happens again, and then you believe it. So now you start to tell yourself, I'm ugly, I'm gross, I'm disgusting, I'm stupid. And this becomes what is in your subconscious, and it's what you its what you just sort of have this running tape in your mind. Some people call it the itty-bitty shitty committee, but it's much more serious than just like some itty-bitty committee. It is literally the driving force in your subconscious, and it is what is programming the health of your cells. So then over time, you develop arthritis or you develop the spinal curve, or you develop the, the pain in the neck, you know, where you can't hold your neck straight, or you just, your looks start to change. You mm-hmm. know, when you look at someone who's older, you can really tell when you're looking at a person who's lived an angry life, because right. it shows on their facial expression. Right. Because they've held their facial expression in that, in that place for so many years. And in Chinese medicine, the uh, Mary, I'm sure you're aware of this, the organs of the body are associated with different uh, emotions. For example, the lungs are grief, the liver is anger. And um, on this recent documentary I was watching, um, they used the example of Dana Reeve, who died of lung cancer, and she wasn't a smoker. Um, they talked about passive smoke, but really, I mean, the, the stress and the grief from losing Christopher Reeve, her husband, um, was probably what killed her, you know, the lung cancer um, that took her. It was the manifestation. Yeah. The lung cancer was yeah. the manifestation of, of the life that she had lived. And, you know, uh, she's, I'm getting chills all over because I just have, I think I had forgotten that she passed away. Mm-hmm. And, she was so you know, young she, and had had a young son, and it was just so uh, sad. And yeah, I think about her a lot when it comes to, you know, just thinking about these things because we don't want to cause anyone any more anxiety over how they are uh, managing the stress in their lives. But it is really important. And if we can just be aware, awareness, I think, is the key. And conscious awareness of, of what we are allowing into our subconscious mind. Um, we, it's so true. And, yeah. You know, just to say that when someone is a caregiver, and I certainly understand this because, you know, I've, I'm a caregiver to my son who's on the spectrum, but also my daughter who passed away in 1993, she had severe and profound brain damage. Mm. And so during the time she was alive, you know, I was her caregiver. But studies are showing that caregivers um, have a very short lifespan. And it is because of this reason, because they, they live in a state of constant stress 
that builds up into the body until it manifests into disease and illness. So the way, and you might think you don't have time to take care of yourself. And I think it's in chapter three of my book that I guide the reader into making a self-care routine. And so even if that is just that you're going to go into your bathroom and you're going to take an Epsom salt bath for 20 minutes, but you're going to do that three times a week, no matter what you can find something that's going to allow you to de-stress a little bit. And I am a huge fan of breath work, breath work. yoga mm-hmm. and massage. Good. Me too. I'm with you, girl. We're, we got all of these. So um, just to finish this conversation, to bring in a little bit of mm, spirituality, I guess, um, I too am very spiritual. I was raised Episcopalian. I'm pretty entrenched in the Christian uh, faith. But when I was writing my book, uh, Back to Happy, about um, my healing journey with my daughter, I recalled an experience, a dream I had, and I believe in dreams, and I, I'm not sure, I'm not saying I understand them, <laughs> but they are they are part of our uh, deep unconscious mind trying to, uh, I, I believe, give us give us some insight into what's going on. And I had a dream um, not long after she had died, and it was, um, she came to me, my daughter's name was Megan, and she said, Mommy, I can't be happy until you're happy. And and it was just so real and so profound, and the closest thing to a lucid dream I can say I've had. And about a week later, I received a letter from my sister-in-law, and in it was a little newspaper article that was an Ann Landers column about little angels marching in heaven and they were all carrying candles, lit candles, and this one little angel's candle went out and um, one of her little angel friends said, why does your candle keep going out? And she says, my mother's tears put that, put it out. And so that was just a validation of the dream of what my unconscious mind or God or spirit or whatever it was, it doesn't really matter, was trying to communicate to me that I needed to, to be happy. And even if it was only because she was telling me that was that was enough for me to um, to inspire me because I think sometimes when we're down so deep in in a depression or a um, a dark place, just the inspiration to heal ourselves is just not there. So um, finding finding those little messages because they're everywhere, noticing them, having having the opportunity to um, be open enough to to see the good that wants to come in that little crack. What is that saying about where there's grief? There's a crack where the light can come in. I don't know. Maybe we we can just end with a little bit of hope along those lines. Do you have any stories about um, experiences like that, that, that happened for you? I'm just taken taken so much by your story. I mean, (laughs) first of all, we've, we've shared a lot of deep, things today. And I just, I definitely want to leave to the listener that as many tragedies and these things that I've had to heal from, I have equally had the most joyous, exciting things happen in my life. And the hope is in understanding that your greatest manifestations have happened outside of your comfort zone. These things that I've lived through, it has, um, created in me a resilience that is very, very strong. And I am so grateful for that because I have the strength to get on a stage and share my story. I have the strength 
to hold out my hand to other women and say, you know what, you want to write a book? Me too. I can help you do that. I can show you how I did it. And whatever that person needs, you know, I can share with them what my experience was and, and help them get through it. And I don't do that, do that through coaching or anything, but just through my book and through my Facebook group and things like that. So let's go there. Let's talk about where people can uh, read Conscious Communications, your book, and how they can get in touch with you if they want to um, learn a little bit more. Sure. Well, you can find a lot out about me by visiting my website, which is maryshores.com. The book is Conscious Communications. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, basically anywhere books are sold. And also, I have a Facebook group called The Fearless Ambition that um, if anyone is interested in joining, they certainly can. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I I, I hope it's been inspiring. <laughs> I feel like we kind of went deep into the, the issues and the tissues, and um, I hope it didn't bring anybody down. But I, I do feel like looking honestly at those things and really bringing them into the light and just allowing them to be, like you said earlier, we are not our stories. Just allowing them to dissipate through the through the practices that you mentioned and and all the other things that you've written about in your book. I think there is real hope for moving forward in a conscious and evolutionary and peaceful way. So, so thank you. Yes, it's so true, Bonnie. And I also, I should mention that um, we also gave out a link for a free guidebook that's called the Conscious Communications Guidebook. So if anyone's interested in sort of getting a sneak peek, we encourage you to uh, download that guidebook because all of the coaching exercises in the book are in that guidebook. Awesome. I will post it on our Facebook page and share it and um, use them in my yoga class. <laughs> that sounds good. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mary. Listen, happy holidays and have a, have a successful 2018. I'm sure you will. Happy and healthy and successful. Oh my gosh. 2018 is going to be the best year yet. I can feel it. Yeah, let's rock it, girl. Awesome. All right, take care. And thanks for listening to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. It's been a really good year for me and my family, and I hope for you as well. But as we head into the holiday season, I just want to remind you that not everyone has been so fortunate. Many have lost homes or worse, loved ones in hurricanes or other natural disasters. Holidays can be tough for those missing loved ones. When I wrote Back to Happy, I wasn't really sure who would want to read my story of healing after the loss of a child. But the response from readers has made it clear that there's a great need for us to not only share our stories, but to lift one another up. If there's someone in your life who could benefit from a copy of Back to Happy but cannot afford the paperback, Kindle, or audiobook, please contact me at ConnieBowman.com. I always have extra copies to donate during the holidays. If you'd like a copy for yourself or a loved one, just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or BackToHappyBook.com. May you and yours enjoy a happy, healthy, blessed holiday season.